I would like to continue on what I was speaking on this morning by looking at the hand of the Lord in working out salvation for His people. And I would like to start with uh, a reading from Acts, the fourth chapter. Now, in the third chapter, Peter and John had encountered a man. They were going up to the temple, and they had come across this man who was lame from his mother's womb. And daily, they, his, I reckon his family put him at the beautiful gate to ask for alms for folks coming by. Now, when Peter and John came by, he looked upon them, asked for alms. Peter, John looked upon him, and through the course of events, Peter told him that gold and silver he did not have for him, but what he did have he would give freely, took him by the hand, and... In the sixth verse of the third chapter says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, this man was healed of a great paralysis, a great lameness in his feet. He was made able to stand and walk. Onlookers were astonished, and Peter preached the gospel to them and explained to them how this was done. Well, as they were preaching, word got around, and they were arrested, and they were made to... They were brought before the rulers and the elders and scribes, the high priests. And in the seventh verse of the fourth chapter, they were asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? There was no denial that a miracle had been done. They, they weren't accusing them of being frauds. They, they knew who the man was. Everyone knew who the man was. He'd been there 40 years. And everybody knew he'd been lame from the day of his birth. Peter stands up, gives an account, says, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the same stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. They took counsel and decided the best was to threaten Peter and John, because they they could not deny that a notable miracle had been done. They even they even expressed that that was expressed in the 16th verse. They threatened them, turned them loose, and in the 23rd verse, Peter and John returned to their own company. It says, reported all that the chief priests and elders had done unto them, or had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, saying, and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And the 28th verse is where I wanted to get to. Christ was delivered up. He was delivered up, and Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, had gathered together and took counsel against him. Herod, even though he had tried to let him loose, when the Jews cried out, if you let him loose, you're not Caesar's friend, he consented to his death. I'm sorry, Pontius Pilate said that wrong. And the apostles and all that were gathered together declared unto God that all this had happened because of the 28th verse, for to do whatsoever thy hand 
and thy counsel determined before to be done. They're plainly expressing that Christ came for the express purpose to be delivered up unto the people, to, to suffer, to die, to be buried, and to be raised again. In the, in the second chapter, this isn't the only instance when they express this. In the second chapter, I referred to this this morning, when Peter stands before the crowd and gives witness of Jesus and his being the anointed one of God, he tells the Jews in the 23rd verse, well, let's go to the 22nd verse. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Now, that's very plain and clear that Jesus Christ was delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God had foreordained the crucifixion of His Son before the foundation of the world. We have this from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul expresses, he's writing uh, his opening statements to Timothy. He says, "...who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began." but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So God, before the world began, had appointed Jesus Christ to suffer for all of His children, for all of those whom God would call. Notice that Paul is speaking here of, of the Lord God when he says he, he, he exhorts Timothy to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And as such, God has saved us. He has called us with a holy calling. It's not according to our works. It is according to His own purpose and grace. And that goes back to the sovereignty we were speaking on this morning. That God's salvation is such that it is only according to His own purpose. It is Him working out His purpose amongst His people, amongst all the inhabitants of the of the earth, and it is according to His grace, because we have done nothing to deserve it. As descendants of Adam, we have done everything not to deserve it. And this was given this was given us in Christ Jesus, note this, before the world began. And this is really the whole point. It agrees completely with what Peter says in Acts, that Christ was delivered up, Christ came, He was He was delivered up by the determinate counsel of God. And you can see this back in the seventeen in, in, in the in the chapters of John and in the gospel accounts when Christ is praying in the garden the night of his betrayal. And in one account he, he prays that if it be the will of God, let the cup pass from him, that he should not suffer, and that was his human side showing itself. But elsewhere we have other proof that he came for a specific purpose in the book of John. The theme is repeated over and over again of the sheep being given to the Son. In John six thirty seven through 40 he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. All that the Father giveth me. Those are the same ones which have been given grace in Christ Jesus before the world began. They will, in time, during the, sometime between the cradle and the grave, let's get that, let's be specific about that, they will come to Jesus Christ. It is by the determinate, it is the same determinate counsel and foreknowledge which ordained Christ unto death has ordained all of his sheep to come unto him. He goes further and says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
and this is the will, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So those that are given to Christ shall come to Christ, and they shall be raised up at the last day. You see, coming to Christ happens between sometime between our birth and our death. Because if if you don't come to Christ until after you're raised, then that that goes against what he's saying here. You see the sequence of what he's saying. He's saying, all that the Father gives has given to me, they shall come to me. And those that come to me, I will raise them up at the last day. Those are the same ones which have been given to Jesus Christ by the Father. This is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And, you know, this caused some consternation for the Jews in the 6th chapter of John because they began to murmur amongst themselves because He had said earlier, I am the bread of life, or I am the bread which came down from heaven. And it's just it's, this goes back to our earlier point this morning, what Paul wrote. They were not given the spirit. They by the spirit. They were not given understanding of what he was saying. They were constantly pursuing after Christ, looking for material satisfaction, satisfaction in this life and in this life alone. When what he was preaching to them was a fullness that is everlasting, one that never ends and it never ceases, that He is the source of all our life and all of our sustenance, and we consist by His very grace and mercy and will. And what He is teaching them here is that He is the true bread that has come down from heaven. They go back to... They, they go back in their minds when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness seeking that manna or feeding off the manna. And He... And it's interesting, when they challenge him on it, he says, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Almost as a proof of why they don't understand and they constantly doubt is because they are not drawn by the Father. It is written in the prophets, they shall be all be they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Furthermore, he says in the 47th verse, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And this is, this is a continual theme in this book of the Father and the Son complementing each other. The Father giving all unto the Son, and the Son saving them everla- with an everlasting salvation by His own death and atonement. And the Father at the same time not only giving them unto His Son, but calling them unto Himself through His Son that no man can come unto the Father but by the Son. You know, when, when the disciples questioned him in the 14th chapter of John, and they said, show us the way. And he says, Lord, uh, Thomas said in 14.5, he said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And yet no man can come unto the Son but by the Father. And this is the sovereign will of God being worked out amongst all His creation, particularly His chosen sheep, because it is only His sheep that are given unto Jesus Christ. When the Pharisees and the Jews had asked Him to show them a sign and to show them plainly that He is the Christ, He told them that He's shown them many signs. He's declared it to them plainly. And He says in the 26th verse of the 10th chapter, You believe not because you're not of My sheep. It is not, he is not telling them, you're not my sheep because you don't believe. He's telling them, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. It's a state of being. A state of being the sheep 
happens before we ever believe. And the reason we believe is because we are of His own sheep, of those given unto Him by the Father. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one, plainly stating once again that He is the Son of God, and that He and the Father are one and the same. They are of the same. They are the same God, just different manifestations of of, of God. They, the uh, Paul plainly stated that in Christ Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The bodily manifestation of the Godhead rested in Jesus Christ. And Christ gave us this other, uh, another example of being given unto Him and being put into His trust. You see how the sovereign will of God worked as such that before the world began, He gave grace unto those sheep that He had chosen before the world began, and He gave them, committed them unto Christ Jesus for, for Christ Jesus to be an atonement for them. He says in, the prayer, in His prayer in the garden, He refers to this, a few times when he speaks of those that the Father had given given him. He's speaking of the apostles in the sixth verse, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now, Now they have known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. He also says in the ninth verse, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. This wondrous union between the Father and the Son, in that the Father has given his sheep unto the Son, for the Son to pay price for their sins, and at the same time the Son has given them to the Father as being paid for, a bought, a purchased possession. He, he, and it's not just the disciples or those that he had manifested himself to during his earthly ministry, but also those, as he says here in the 20th verse of the 17th chapter, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now those that believe on Jesus Christ through the word of his apostles, through the teachings of the apostles, through the preaching of the gospel of Christ, are still those whom have been given unto Christ. They were, they were given unto his charge when he suffered, when he was to suffer upon the cross at Calvary. It's not that we're given once we believe. We were given and we shall believe. Notice the language he uses here in the 20th verse. But for them also which shall believe. It's not which may believe or which might believe or which could believe. It is which shall believe on me through their word. And this, once again, is the foreknowledge of God Almighty revealing itself in the Son. This is a wondrous work that we have here of the sovereign God working in His people to believe on Jesus Christ. And it is to those that believe, that, and as Paul wrote to, in the, to the Romans, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but Paul wrote to the Romans of, of faith. This faith, he says in the fifth chapter of Romans, that, well, I thought I could quote that, I can't. It was in front of my face and now it's gone. He says in the fifth chapter of Romans, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, immediately before that, he says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
How do we have this peace? How do we have this access into this grace? It is by faith. And remember, why do we believe? Because we are His sheep. Furthermore, Paul says in, in Ephesians, the second chapter, uh, eight verse, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. These are all foundational doctrines of the Lord's church, that God is sovereign, that He has predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, Ephesians 1, 5. And Paul, here in the first chapter of Ephesians, expounds upon the sovereign will of God and predestination and the fact that he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. These are the same ones who are given to Christ Jesus, who He was praying for in the 17th chapter of John. Here we have Paul writing from Rome to the church at Ephesus. I believe it was Rome, to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus had been founded years after Christ's resurrection. And Paul had actually visited them on his way back, his final trip back to Jerusalem as a, as a farewell, you know, kind of a farewell. He visited, the, they came out to the island of Miletus and he exhorted them to take charge over the church to watch the flock of God for there were going to be grievous wolves entering in. But the point is, this was all well after Christ's resurrection. This was all well after Christ's earthly ministry that the Ephesians, the saints which are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, were had faith, believed in Jesus Christ. And so these same ones whom he's writing here were the same that Christ prayed for. They were part of those that were given to Christ Jesus that came to believe in Christ through the preaching by the apostles. And he says here, they have been chosen in, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, this, is not, this does not preach that all of God's children are chosen and it doesn't matter if they don't believe. No, it preaches the exact opposite. God has chosen us in Christ Jesus before the world began, before the foundation of the world, to the end that we should be holy, that we should be at without blame before Him in love. How can you be without blame except the atoning, except without the atoning blood, or except with the atoning blood of Christ? We cannot be without blame without Christ's blood. And this, and the only way to have access into the grace wherein we stand by Jesus Christ is by faith. You can be, we are declared just by grace. We are given to Christ when, before the foundation of the world. That grace given unto us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And yet, we do not have the access that is personally. It's not here within us, but without faith. That is how the peace of God abides upon our hearts, is through faith. And this faith is given to us out of His own grace and mercy. I hope you all see what, what I'm talking about here is that the sovereign will of God is uh, it really makes grace that much more profound. That He has done these things according to the good pleasure of His will. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. And this does not exclude works. You know, Paul did say, For by grace are you saved 
uh, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet James says, show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show, me, I'll show you my faith by my works. So works accompanies faith, and our faith is a lively faith. It is a living hope that we have, and as such it energizes us to do good works. And we do good works unto one another and unto our communities. Being driven forth to what? To glorify God, as he says here, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. This is a very humbling thing to me to reflect on the fact that all of this is being done because of the good pleasure of God's will. It is not under, it is not anything for me in particular as, as from the standpoint that God did express it, well, I'm going to make John happy. No, that's, that's not what the apostle says. He does say in the 8th chapter of Romans that all things work while things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But also, uh, speaking of those who are called according to His purpose, He says, whom he, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. God has called unto Himself a people according to the good pleasure of His will. He has adopted them to Himself by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will. And He works a continual sanctification all the way through glorification according to His own purpose. And in the end, God is calling unto Himself His own people through Christ Jesus, to the praise of the glory of His grace. It all comes back to Him. You see, in a lot of, main, a lot of mainstream churches nowadays, the focus is on the parishioner. The focus is on the individual, not on the Lord God. They may speak of Him and what He's done for them, but really, it just go down the road and see the marketing campaign that other churches employ. They want, they want you to know that they're spirit-filled. They want you to know that they're doing great things. They want you to know that this is an exciting place, that this place is fun, this place is energetic. And it, it's geared towards make. It's geared towards really making the person feel like, hey, that's a great place I can go. Or you know, they'll they'll say stuff like, we're family focused, we're kid friendly. Okay, that's a great place I can take my children, and they have other children to play with. But there's no preaching of the gospel as the apostles preached it. Examine how Peter preached it. Examine how Paul preached. He told the the, the Athenians in the 17th chapter of Acts that the unknown God, who is He? Him de- declare I unto you, God that made the heavens and earth and all that therein. And he goes through that whole exposition and no one isn't. Does he say, now see here, this is the right God for you folks if you'll just accept Him. No, as a matter of fact, in the 31st, I believe it's the 31st verse of Acts, He tells them plainly about this unknown God which they were were ignorant of when He says, He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and that He hath raised Him from the dead. 
So God calls His people unto Himself. He has given them to Christ Jesus before the world began. Christ suffered for a chosen, for those that the Father had given unto Him. They are the same sheep which believe, and they're not just restricted to those who are here in Christ's time, as we see through Paul's writing unto the Ephesians, but they are all unto the, all those that believe, the believing ones. And in the end, God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. How are we to be declared righteous but with the blood of Jesus Christ being being reconciled under the Father by His death? We shall be saved by His life. Not the life He lived then, but the life that He is living now. Seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them that come unto God by Him. Uh, I got that verse backwards. That comes to us from Hebrews 725, and I, I want to make sure I read that to you. But that's the writer of Hebrews speaking of the superiority of Christ's priesthood, saying He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for Him. That is how we are saved by His life as it is, His resurrected life, being given hope for the resurrection that is to come at the last day, and also the fact that we are saved to the uttermost by Jesus Christ because He is at the right hand of the Father ever, constantly making intercession for those that come unto God by Him. So brethren, that was just what I wanted to close out with today, seeing that God calls unto Himself a people that were not a people. He calls unto Himself the same ones that are His sheep that were given to Christ Jesus, that those whom He gave grace to before the world began. How can He give grace to them except that He foreknows that sin will enter in the world and giving glory unto Himself, He works out a glorious salvation for a chosen few. And that, and that is one of the wondrous mysteries of God Almighty, that He did not elect to save the whole world, but save those in whom He has chosen. Let's not be arrogant about it. Let's not be, cho- let's not be accused of arrogance or pridefulness. But to me, it is a very humbling thing to consider that it, it, it goes, you know, his, his sovereign will, I've pointed mainly at salvation today, but if you really want to start thinking about the general providence of God, think about getting in the car and going home. People say, well, I can drive my car and I'll be fine. Well, car breaks down or someone jumps out the intersection and slams into your car. By His sovereign will, and it's according to His good pleasure that that we have not only been brought in and added to the church, but we also exist and we go back and forth to our homes and we're able to we're able to live and give Him glory in this life. So I hope that was I hope that was plain this afternoon and this morning. I really appreciate y'all having us down here, and uh, uh, we 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 do make mention of y'all in our prayers, and we we pray the Lord will be with this church. We do enjoy coming down here, and uh, may God keep y'all throughout the next few weeks. Thank you.